Bible Worm, Bible Worm, reading the Bible with Bible Worm. Welcome to Bible Worm, getting to the core of the biblical text. I'm Dr. Amy Robertson, Director of Lifelong Learning at Congregation Or Hadash in Sandy Springs, Georgia. And I'm Dr. Robert Williamson, Professor of Religious Studies at Hendricks College and Theologian-in-Residence of Canvas Community in Little Rock. We're here every week to discuss the biblical text, both as biblical scholars and as people of faith, one Jewish and one Christian. This week, we read Matthew chapter 7, verses 1 through 14 and 24 through 29 a section that includes the golden rule, but also comes at its central idea, what is hateful to you do not do to others, from so many different angles. How does it not only help our community, but help our own selves when we steer clear of judgment and focus instead on our own behaviors where we actually have some power to change things? We love how Jesus' teachings seem to alternate between admonitions against certain behaviors and a call to value what is holy within ourselves. And we contemplate the metaphor of God as a rock and foundation, not a shelter from the storm, and not something of spectacular beauty that might catch our eye, but a rock. And boy, will you be glad if you built your house there when the storm comes. Thanks for listening. Hey, Bobby. Hey, Amy. Hey, Amy, do you remember when we used to be, this podcast used to be NLDR, and then we made our jump over to Bible Worm, like, I don't know, like six months in? Yes. NLDR, I still think, was creative. It was supposed to be like TLDR, like too long, didn't read. But I don't know if people, I don't know if it was like so gettable that that's it was like half the people say. didn't know what tldr meant and so they didn't yes. understand nldr and then the other half didn't know what the narrative luxury was yeah and so the nl didn't make any sense and so yeah. we switched to bible worm mm-hmm. but i was digging through some of our old files and i found this file of taglines that we thought up for bible worm back when we were <laughs> when we were fresh and doing this all new god and, help us oh man so we finally you know settled on uh getting to the core of the biblical text which is the mm-hmm. one we use now but mm-hmm. Our very first one was <laughs> digesting the scriptures to fertilize your spiritual garden. <laughs> wow. uh, my, this that one just I rolls love. right off the tongue. Yeah. And then this <laughs> one was uh, it's like a bookworm, but for the Bible. That's <laughs> like that one totally goes with like our theme song. I kind of like the Bible. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. Wriggling our way expl- through the scriptures. We're just gonna explain, we're gonna explain our joke yeah. right away. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I like this one. Someday we might be a Bible butterfly. But probably not today. <laughs> oh my goodness. Here's oh, my wow. very most here's my very most favorite one. <laughs> Sometimes the stuff that shoots from our butts is pure silk. <laughs> oh my god, so uh, Oh my goodness. Yeah, wow. I think that was the last one we ever used. And then we were like, nope, nope. We got <laughs> we to we like, pick one. We got to pick one. Game. Yeah. That was a fun game. Sometimes the stuff that shoots from our butts is pure silk, though. I mean, there, yeah. there's truth in advertising. But but other times, <laughs> <laughs> it is less than silky. You never know what you're going to get. Yeah. Uh, yeah. All right. Hmm. But we should not judge. We should not judge. No, for sure not. We should not judge. No. Coincidentally, Bobby, I'm sure this is pure coincidence. We're reading Matthew chapter seven today. I I did <laughs> not know that. <laughs> yeah, we are reading. It's not the narrative lectionary doesn't take us all the way, all the way through the chapter, but we read the predominance of it. We read chapter, uh, sorry, verses one through fourteen, then skip a little bit and read twenty four through twenty nine. Yes. Does that sound familiar? Yeah. Okay. Good. That does sound right. I think we read, yes, we read all the way through the end of chapter six. Yeah. So we don't need any catch up in that way, but we are still in the middle of what is sort of construed within the gospel, I think, as one one long teaching. Right. So right? yeah, so it, back in chapter five, Jesus went up on the side of the mountain to talk to his disciples and we think to the crowds. And he just is still talking. So chapters five, six, and seven is all that long sermon, Mm -hmm. which is known in the Christian tradition as the Sermon on the Mount. 
And so what we're reading today is the very end of the Sermon on the Mount. Just for the sake of continuity, since it's been a week since we talked about chapter six, can you just bring us, what were we just talking about? We just read that passage, remember, on the uh, do not worry about tomorrow, what you will eat or what you will drink or what you will wear. Mm-hmm. Uh, seek first the kingdom of God and, and all of righteousness and all these things will be added to you as well. And we were just talking about the idea of trusting in God as the, as the key and not just for things spiritual, but also, also for things material. And we had, we had sort of interpreted that in terms of, you know, something like kingdom of heaven or beloved community. If we all trusted that there was enough for all of us and we shared accordingly, then indeed God would, would take care of all of us. So that, that's my yeah. that's my quick version. I don't know why we took an hour to talk about that last week. That's yes, yes, yes. Right. <laughs> so listen, <laughs> yes, listen to the episode last week. But yeah, that's that's sort of the words that just came out of Jesus's yeah. mouth. And then I guess I'll just pick up in chapter seven. Yes. We ready? Okay. So uh, the first chunk is one through fourteen, but I'm going to split that in half. So I'm going to read one through six in the NRSV. Do not judge so that you may not be judged. For with the judgment you make, you will be judged, and the measure you give will be the measure you get. Why do you seek the speck in your neighbor's eye, but do not notice the log in your own eye? Or how can you say to your neighbor, let me take the speck out of your eye, while the log is in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your neighbor's eye. Do not give what is holy to dogs and do not throw your pearls before swine or they will trample them underfoot and turn and maul you. Okay, we're going to we're going to pause there for a moment. This this sort of opening that the first few verses focus on, do not judge so that you may not be judged. Yeah. I can think of at least two different ways to understand this. Yeah. Do you want to, how do you understand it? Or I can tell you my two ways and give you choices and you can add other choices. I don't know if you have sort of an explanation that comes to your mind. I want to hear your choices. I want to hear what, I want to hear your reading and then I'll tell you what I think. Here are my choices. One is that you could read this as sort of karma. Yes. You know, what what you do is what's going to happen to you. Or you could read it as, let's see, this is, I don't have a one word description of what this is, but there's a, (laughs) there's, there's this sort of popular song within the Jewish world called Olam Chesed Yevaneh by a rabbi named Menachem Creditor. And the words of the song are, if you build the world from love, then like, then others must build the world from love. And if we build the world from love, then God must build the world from love. Like this, mm. the the energy, the things, the, I guess energy is the best word. I don't know. The way that you build your everyday world around you, like has a real effect on the way that other people will use their energy to the, build the world and can sort of compel even God to build the world in a certain way. So it's not so much karma as like, you help create the world that you want yes. to exist. And then you have, you know, here to add just one one more sort of metaphor is like you like you've you've made your bed and this is the bed you're gonna lie in. Yeah. So th- there are at least two options. There might have been a third option in there. Do, do either of those resonate for you? So I don't think it's simply karma in the sense that like there is some sort of natural order that responds to you, you know, what you put into the world is what you get back. I think there is a an agency here about the language of judging. Mm-hmm. And so God is in the background of this text for sure. So don't judge so you won't be judged is the way that you judge others. That's how God's going to respond to you. What sort of judgments you give, that's the sort of judgments you're going to get. I think God is the primary agent there, mm-hmm. which is a really fascinating concept, as you were saying, that like God is taking our lead in a yeah. sense to say like, oh, you're a merciful and kind person, so I will be merciful and kind to you. Or you're a harsh and, uh, I don't know what the other word I'm looking for, petty person, harsh and uh, judgmental person. So I will be harsh and judgmental to you. Mm -hmm. And that's just such an, we're going to see another parable about this later on, I think in the narrative lectionary in a couple of weeks, 
that'll get us a little more into some detail. But that's the way I read this passage. And I do think there is sort of a secondary meaning behind that, which I really like that you were developing there. That is, if this is the relationship we have with God, also this is the way it works between us. And so if we put good things into the world, it will make people want to put good things back into the world. Mm -hmm. And if we're kind to people, people will want to be kind to us. You can think of that as not, I mean, there's a, there's a manipulative way of thinking about that where I'm going to do good things. So you'll do good things, but I don't think this is necessarily that it's just, Mm -hmm. you know, be, be kind so we can live in a kind world. But even if it is manipulative, like if the right, way you're going to manipulate that, me yeah, is to do really nice things to me. Yeah, a bad form of manipulation. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'll take it. You manipulate me all day if you want to. Yeah, so I think, is that, I think that's your second, is that sort of like your second point? I think so. I think the question that came up for me while you were talking is the you here, mm. is it singular or plural? No, that's a good point. All those verbs in verses one and two are plural, you plurals. So y'all. Mm. Mm-hmm. Y'all don't judge, so y'all won't be judged. That really does sound like my second option then. That like that, that we're again, like we're talking about the whole community here. It's not like a personal how do you navigate as a sort of a one-man show in the world. Right. Yeah. That's really interesting that Matthew Matthew really, I mean, we've been talking about plural imperatives yeah. for <laughs> like several weeks now. Yeah. Whereas I feel like John's gospel that we were talking about last year had a little more of a sense. I mean, it did have a communal sense to it, but you kind of got the sense from that gospel that it's about you and your relationship with God. And Matthew really, I think, in some senses, closer to the Jewish tradition. Like if you think about Deuteronomy and, and everything is about how the community functions, that seems to be closer to what Matthew's doing here. Yeah. I'm trying to picture, and it's so hard because in English, you know, unless you're someone who really pretty religiously uses y'all for the plural, it's hard to tell what we're even saying. But I'm, you know, Jesus is talking, there's more than one person that he's talking to, whether you imagine he primarily is talking to the disciples and others are listening, or he's talking to a big group, or even if you think he's only talking to the disciples, it's just interesting to think about whether it might've been bizarre to use the singular. So I don't, I don't want to like overread the fact that it's plural, but, but it, at least reading it now as a book, sitting by myself, <laughs> it feels really important to say that it's that it's plural. This is not just one person reading a book alone. Yeah. yeah. By the way, we've said a couple of times along the way that it would be really nice if there were a translation of the Bible that used y'all. Mm-hmm. And our wonderful editor, Joel Becker, who listens to us and tries to make us not say ridiculous things. Um, <laughs> Thank God for you. <laughs> sent me a link to, it's just yallversion.com. Y'all version. So do not judge so that y'all will not be judged. For in the way y'all judge, y'all will be judged. And by y'all's, oh, it even uses y'alls. I, anywhere <laughs> I mean, that you I, need to use y'alls. You do. Sometimes. All y'all. I don't know if you use all y'all or not. That's another level of y'all, yeah, y'allness. Level. I love words with two apostrophes though, y'alls. <laughs> by y'all's standards of measure, it will be measured to y'all. It doesn't read great. <laughs> but it's clear. Yeah, it's, but it's, yes, clear. it's a little overwhelming. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But but it's clear. Now I appreciate yeah. that. Y'allversion.com. Okay, great. And then we go on to talk about hypocrisy. Yes. And I feel like I feel like I understand the accusation of hypocrisy. Like it seems fairly straightforward, this sort of speck and the log, although that's such a funny image that someone's got a log in their eye. Do they mean an yeah. actual log? Like I think it's supposed to be hilarious. Like a lumberjack Yeah, you're walking around with a tree okay. in your face. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> and you're like, hey, you got a little speck in your eye. <laughs> you got a tree in your face. Yeah. Beautiful. Okay, great. Okay, so I feel like I understand that. And also... At this, at least at this moment in history, in the world that I live in, I feel like the opposite problem is almost equally mm. true, that people can be harder on themselves yes. than they are on others. Yes. And I, gosh, I guess what's my question in here? I mean, it had me thinking a little bit about our conversations about Anava, where like it's really sort of a, a balance issue. Yeah. Do you think, like, do you think Jesus is addressing only the one side because that was the predominant culture of that time? Or is it a bigger obstacle to his task of ushering in the kingdom? Or 
it's just, or that's just what he's talking about right now. He could talk about self-love later. I mean, the point is tidy your own house before you start complaining about someone else's. And the nice thing about that is we do a lot of harm to other people when we judge them. And so if we spent all of our time trying to get the tree out of our face, Mm -hmm. we would, I think, (laughs) never get around to trying to get the speck out of our neighbor's eye. And so judgment between people kind of ceases. Mm -hmm. But what you're saying, I think, is right. And I mean, my quick answer is this is probably Matthew or Jesus speaking in a paternalistic honor shame culture which is which is very judgy and very masculine mm. in that sense and that he's not really thinking about people who have the opposite problem but i think you're right that we we ought to think about that and not simply say if you spend all your time looking at the log in your own eye or if you have a tiny little speck in your own eye but you interpret it as a tree in your face then that's really then what happens? detrimental. Yeah. 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 I think that's yeah. absolutely. I don't have a great response to that. No, the way that you meant the way that you just described it was actually really helpful to me because thinking about sort of like just making it concrete and saying like tidy your own house before you get all worked up about someone else's house, it made it it makes me think of sort of like the tiny realm under which we have some modicum of impact. I don't quite want to say control because I don't know that that that's how this text would want me to talk about it, but to use your energy for things where you can actually affect change and yeah. bring about good. Yeah. And, and that is generally speaking, not, <laughs> not in judging someone else that doesn't right. actually accomplish anything, Yeah, but what can you actually change? And so then you have to pay attention to what, what could be better in your own home. I love that way of thinking about it as like, where does your energy actually have effect? Because judging someone else has no effect other than to tear that person down. Mm -hmm. Thinking about how you might self-improve can have good effects, although it can also go too far, as you're saying. And then if you read this in light of the previous verse about what you put into the world is what you get back, then you might think, okay, if if I have been gentle with myself about the log in my own eye, maybe I can also put love into the world for other people instead mm-hmm. of judging them, maybe I can offer something to them. Maybe I can lend a hand. Maybe I can, you know, show compassion. Mm-hmm. And so I think, it, I think it can spiral out of control one way or it can spiral in a really beautiful way if we get this kind of compounding self-care, self-compassion leads to compassion for others. Yeah, I also think that, you know, you said judging, judging others just, you know, only really serves to tear them down, which is true. But I also think it... Uh, you know, at least speaking personally, like it is damaging to me. It is hurtful to me when mm. I sort of enter, get into this state of thinking that the re- all the people around me are, what, the, the world is full of an abundance of evil or whatever you want to call it. Like that's, um, it actually is a comfort to me when, when someone can show me that this person who I have judged is not really any worse than I am. Right. That, that actually feels good to me. Like, okay, so we all have our faults and we all are trying and are thoughtful in our own ways and are essentially, you know, that the world is worth saving in some, in some way. Right. I went on to read verse six, but six doesn't really go so much with the hypocrisy. I don't think, although maybe you'll, maybe you'll make a case that it does. What do you think we should, I first wanted to ask you, what do the dogs and swines represent? But now I'm thinking back to like the Bobby in my head would say, chill out before you start. (laughs) That's exactly what I was thinking. (laughs) Yeah. Chill out before you start saying, what do they represent? Yeah. Right. What, what do we take from, what characteristics, what understanding are we to take from, I mean, from the dogs and swines and also from, you know, the pearls or what is holy? Yeah. Now I've just turned the question to the whole verse. What, how do you think about this verse, Bobby? <laughs> yeah, I mean, so I think holy things here is probably a reference to, I, would, I think it's probably meat that has been offered at the temple, you know, oh. like a well-being okay. offering or something that you've offered part of, and then you, now you have part of it to eat. That's how I, I just need a concrete That's interesting. image. Huh, okay. And so you have this thing of value that the dogs really want. And they will tear you up to get to it. The pearls also are a thing of value. I don't know why you'd give your 
pearls to a pig. <laughs> yeah, no, it's that's that's really helpful because the the first way I read it was that like the pearls are valuable to you, but this pig doesn't care about your pearls. Right. And so I sort of d- deduced maybe wrongly from that that whatever holy thing we're talking about is nothing the dog doesn't care about the holy thing. It's important to uh. you, but it has no special value to the dog. But maybe that's not right. Maybe it's sort of giving the range of maybe they want the thing and maybe they don't want the thing. I really love that, Amy, because I, I like that it frames it as like the one thing is like this, these ravenous dogs really want the thing you have and they will absolutely take it from you if, even if they have to bite your hand off. Mm-hmm. The other one is swine could not care any less about pearls and yet they will trample it. Mm-hmm. And it, if you read this back to what we were just talking about with judgment, this is, I mean, the here's me allegorizing, but you know, there's things about us that we ought not offer to people who are either only ravenously interested in it for their own purposes mm-hmm. or who are completely disinterested. If you put yourself out there, they will either rip it away from you or they will stomp on it because they don't know to care about it. This is mm-hmm. a little bit of a caution about mm-hmm. who you share yourself with, mm-hmm. who you share your things that the thing, I think both material, but also spiritual and emotional things that matter, protect, protect yourself a little bit. I don't know. No, I mean, I think that's, I, <laughs> for whatever reason, I don't know why, Bobby, I can't help. Every time I read this, I'm like, I am sure at some point in history, this was read to teenage girls as like a, you know, <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah. abstinence teaching. Yeah, 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 for sure. But I'm trying to think of, I mean, I hadn't read it at all with what came before it. And reading it on its own, I agree with you that, like, don't throw what is precious to you to beings that won't see or care about what is precious about it. Because even if the dog wants the meat, the dog doesn't want the meat because it's holy. It doesn't care that it's holy. It just wants the meat. Exactly, exactly. And neither will they really care about the gift, nor will they appreciate the fact that you've given them something. Like, if you're trying to ingratiate yourself to the dog by giving it meat, it's going to turn around and maul you. Like, it doesn't care. It's not. Yes. <laughs> you're not, you're not doing, this is, just don't do it. I'm trying to, th- I'm, can you talk to me a little longer about how this could fit with all this, like not judging yeah. other people? I'm having trouble connecting those. Yeah. As you were talking about that, I was sort of reflecting for myself. I'm like, where does that come from in me? And here's where it comes from. Yeah. Is in my experience, particularly at Mercy Church, a lot of the people that I'm in relationship with there come from really complicated relational backgrounds. They Mm -hmm. come from abusive homes. They come from abusive relationships. They have been around people who do not treat them well. And so if you say to them, don't judge lest you be judged, there's an immediate response that is, I've got to protect myself because Mm -hmm. if I have to forgive people as the first thing, they're just going to keep hurting me. And so this is a way maybe of saying, don't judge people, but also don't let them keep hurting you. So there's a like, let people be, but you got to take care of yourself. You got to take care of the things that really, that really matter about you. I think that's where it's coming from. For me, I I don't know whether I'm sort of applying that to the text or whether that emerges from the text. But I I can see a couple different strands of it. I mean, one is the idea we were just talking about of sort of the the area where you have some ability to really affect change is pretty small and it's in, in your own self and your own life. And, and so you shouldn't judge other people. And also that doesn't mean they haven't done anything bad or that right. you should think the other people are all great and give, you know, and, and not protect yourself from right. harm. It just means judgment isn't, isn't really going to help. Right. The other. Anything else you want to say about these first verses? I don't think so. Well, then I am going to pick us up in verse seven. Ask and it will be given you. Search and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened for you. For everyone who asks receives and everyone who searches finds. And for everyone who knocks, the door will be opened. Is there anyone among you who, if your child asks for bread, will give a stone? Or if the child asks for a fish, will give a snake? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good things to those who ask him? 
in everything do to others as you would have them do to you, for this is the law and the prophets. Enter through the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the road is easy that leads to destruction, and there are many who take it. For the gate is narrow and the road is hard that leads to life, and there are few who find it. Mm-hmm. Mm. There's a, a lot in here and some famous stuff. <laughs> There's a lot in here and some very famous stuff. One of the things I like about the narrative lectionary and one of the things that I appreciate about the way you just read that is I tend to treat each of those things individually, like just a couple verses together. And the narrative lectionary kind of invites us to Mm -hmm. think about how they all relate to each other. And the way you just read that, like when you started reading about the narrow gate, I was like, wait, you're supposed to stop. But actually you're not supposed to stop. (laughs) (laughs) This is all in one sermon. Yeah. Like anywhere Uh, you stop. Yes, it all. I've also just, you have to divide the text. It all goes together. But yeah, we'd just be reading chapter five through seven and that would be a lot for one. one Yes. Yes. Divide it. We shall. Okay. Let's start with this. What I would see as sort of the first chunk here. Ask and you shall receive. Yeah. Okay, simple-minded question. Mm-hmm. Ask whom? <laughs> I mean, I don't know. I, there's this old joke about children's sermons and churches and how the answer is always Jesus or God. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> and that, you know, like I, a, that, may, that may be exactly the answer here. Yeah, I mean, that's my first, but it's a very, for me, that's my response is ask God. It is also not a very reflective response. It's just, that's what it seems like. But it is passive. I mean, it is given in the passive voice. Yeah. Although it does then go on to say, uh, connects it to God as a parental image down in verse 11. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But you don't know that at the beginning. That's right. That's no, that's right. But that helps make it pretty clear that that's, that must be who we're talking about here. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, that's helpful. Bobby, I feel like this needs a lot of nuancing. Yeah. Now, when I was reading this, I was thinking about you because you often raise this concern about prayer, which I think is a very important one about this does not always seem like it works this way. Mm-hmm. And so what do you do when people do knock and they do seek and they do pray and they seem to not get the thing that they were seeking after? I guess it doesn't say ask and you will receive the thing you asked for. You'll just receive something. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. (laughs) We just had a few verses ago. I mean, it's been a week in our reading, but it was really just 633. Seek first the kingdom of God and God's righteousness and all these things will be added to you as well. Mm. Which is just in the, you know, in the flow of the speech was literally just said a few lines earlier. And so- One way of interpreting this is the thing that you ought to be seeking and the door we ought to be knocking on is God and God's righteousness and the kingdom of heaven and other things that we need will be added to us. Mm -hmm. That's not exactly what this passage says. But you're right. We, you know, it's sort of arbitrarily cut into chapters, you know, so, so I think we absolutely could read that as a a immediate context for this. Yeah. That's the other really thing that might help to frame it a little bit is when we get into this little parable, or I don't know, it's a comparison. The thing the children are asking for mm-hmm. is bread and fish. So they're seeking the sustenance for the day. Mm-hmm. They're not seeking, you know, an iPhone or a Tesla or whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Tesla would have worked better like six months before, six months ago before Elon went a little crazy, but <laughs> publicly crazy anyway. But Yeah, and so I don't know if there's something there about seeking the things of life or the the necessities, but then I know plenty of people who seek the necessities of life and don't seem to get those either. Yeah. You know, I I don't really, maybe this is, I don't know. Okay, I'm taking us a little bit from the text for a minute, but I won't spend too long here. But it's just, it's in my head really because we talked about it last week which when it came to my mind again, I was like, am I just obsessed with this idea? But you're right. This last week is, is just a few lines earlier. So, so maybe it's, it is like really the text that's bringing this out. But I talked about last week this sort of, you know, practice of the Piazetzner Rebbe that was really sort of based in the idea that, that we have to find ways to quiet every, 
every worldly thing that is trying to get our attention. Yes. And that is many, 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 many things. Yes. And find a way to ground ourselves in the reality of God as the foundational reality. Yeah. And then the next thing in the practice that I didn't talk about last time was the asking for things. Mm. And the way that the Piazzetsno Rebbe thinks about it is what you ask for is not like an outcome or a material thing, but you ask for, you ask God to strengthen certain attributes like patience or bravery or discernment, Mm. whatever you feel that you need. But in that context, that's what he is talking about. Like what you need is to be able to sort of get through this worldly situation that you're in. I don't know that that's what Jesus or Matthew is talking about here. Mm -hmm. And again, like we also have this sort of like Deuteronomy model where like you – if if you are faithful toward God in your ways of being in the world, then God provides materially for you. Yes. That is definitely yeah. a model that's in play. Yeah. But I guess I offer the other one because it's something that I can have in my mind as I read this and say like, okay, yes, ask and you will receive. Yeah. I love that, Amy. I, and as is my way, I love both both of those pieces. I tend toward the material side. You know me well mm-hmm. enough by now to know that this is true, but, but I love that praying for the strength or the resources, internal resources or the patience or whatever it might be to get, to stay faithful in the in the living of the day. I love that idea. I also, I think the connection to Deuteronomy is really important. And this idea we've been talking about all spring in this series on Matthew so far about the community nature of all of this. And here again, these are y'all's and I think it is imagining that the prayer comes in the community. I, I mean, one question to ask is like, in what way do we think God blesses us? Is mm-hmm. it like God shows up? Is it like Santa Claus? We wake up in the morning and there's a, like a whatever in the stocking? Or does God bless us through community? Mm-hmm. And I tend to think that way. And it goes, then it goes all the way back to everything we've been talking about this yeah. spring, which is there is enough if the community lives in the way the community is meant to live. Mm-hmm. And so if one prays publicly, like, in the, and I mean that in the sense of if we pray together as communities, then God is able to respond to us because our community hears what we need. And people tend to be, if, I mean, if we were functioning as a community the way we should, then we would tend to respond to one another based on the expressed needs of the community. And we would be more careful what we were asking about if we thought, what we're doing is relying on the community, right? Yeah. And then that this is not at all intended and in, to take God out of the picture, right? So it's just mm-hmm. we're caring for right, each other. Right. It's all predicated on God has provided enough and God has shown us how to live together as neighbors in ways that take care of the individual needs of individual people. Mm-hmm. That's where I'm at with this, I think. That's really helpful. I, re- I love that. That's great. And I'm surprised that you were able to come up with it, Bobby, because you're evil. <laughs> I am. I'm so evil. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so this this part where uh, where we're, we get where we're evil is another example of the the Calvachomer logic yes. that we've talked yeah, about yeah. before. That's you know common in, in rabbinic thought that like if this little thing can be true, then all the more so is it true with this big thing. So even if you 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 know, despicable person would not give a snake to your child when they were hungry. All the more so does God respond uh, appropriately, kindly, generously to you and to your, to your real needs. Yeah. Okay. I understand the point. And I also, uh, like, I think I kind of laughed when I got to the, like you who are evil, like, (laughs) (laughs) yeah, yeah. Should I just like not spend too much time on that because they're trying to make a point here or, or is our essential nature evil or like, I know we're not God and I know they're trying to create a big distance between humans and God. I don't know. Do you think I should just like let it go or is this worth talking about? I mean, you're talking to somebody who comes out of a Calvinist tradition and Calvinist talks about the total depravity of humankind so it's like this is near and dear to, to my evil heart. <laughs> I mean, for Calvin, Calvin would not say that anybody is evil, but that the power of sin is so great in the world that we cannot but do evil things. And, you know, Paul mm-hmm. and 
in his letters says, I do the things I do not wish to do. And I do not do the things I do wish to do. Like Mm -hmm. just what I want to do and what I end up doing are just not the same. Mm -hmm. And so for me, like you are evil goes maybe a little far. Yeah. I mean, I'm not correcting, (laughs) I'm not correcting Jesus. (laughs) I'm line (laughs) editing the Sermon on the Mount right here. Just to be clear. (laughs) But uh, this idea that our our intentions are not always great. And even when our intentions are great, the things that grow out of those intentions are not always what we wish they would be. Like that seems right to me. Mm-hmm. And looking around at the world, it's pretty much explains a lot of things. And so, I mean, the, the way that I might, if I were, you know, if Jesus and I were going to do a little speech writing consultation, you might say something like, even you who are incapable of giving gifts the way you want to, or something like that, oh, no, his is better. Uh, but you know what I mean. Yeah. <laughs> never line edit Jesus. Uh, but yeah, no matter how hard you try, you're never going to be able to really. It's like when you have kids and they and like, no matter how you raise your kids, they got to go to therapy and like work out the stuff mm-hmm. that, that you did to them, you know? And it's kind of like that. Like no matter mm-hmm. how hard you try, you're not going to quite get it right. So how much more so, but you yeah. even know, even you who are going to make your kids go to therapy you know not to give them. I mean, if you gave them a snake on the answer of fish, like they would <laughs> super be in therapy. Um, yeah, yeah. If even you can do it. So, I mean, I, yeah. But I kind of like the, like the evil part, like makes you like prickle up a little bit and be like, hey, wait a second. And then you get to have this conversation. Yeah. Yeah. No, that, that's helpful. That's helpful. Okay. I have, well, we we got to talk about the golden rule. I mean, the narrative lectionary talks about this whole, they call this whole section the golden rule, don't they? Yeah. Yeah. They, I think they do, yeah. So the golden rule is just one little verse. Mm-hmm. The first The first question I have, I guess, is how does this articulation do to others as you would have them do to you differ from you should love your neighbor as yourself? which I feel like is another articulation of a, I don't know if it's called the golden rule, but in my head, it, I don't know. It's a, it, 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 it's, it's another articulation of the most important thing. No, I think, I think it's not different. I think it's the same. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Love your neighbor as yourself. Dude, I mean, it's a different, it's a different shading of the same yeah. thing. It, you know, it's funny. It's sort of, I raised that issue before about self-love and this love your neighbor as yourself. Like it has actually come up in Torah study groups that I've led. Like, what if you don't love yourself? Like, what is that? Mm -hmm. If that's the bar, what does that mean? And in some ways I feel like this is a, this almost gets around that because no one wants others to treat them badly. Like, even if you don't, even if you're not so kind to yourself, you don't expect others usually to treat you that way. So it, I don't know. I feel like it, it, it offers sort of a back door into it without getting caught up in the, in the issue. I think that's a really helpful way of thinking about it. And I think it's a pretty good rule for, for life. The critique that gets leveled at it, which I think is also a good one, is it mm-hmm. makes you the reference point. Yeah. And so you assume everyone wants to be treated in the same way that you want to be treated. Yeah. Instead of like treat your neighbor in the way that they want to be treated. Yeah just as you hope they will treat you in the way that you want to be treated, which yeah. is less, less pithy. <laughs> yes. Mm-hmm. No, I think that's right. And I think that is an important sort of nuance to, to add to it. Like this is, this is a good way of sort of approaching the world and, you know, maybe existed in a certain cultural context where yeah. there really was, there was an assumption that everyone wanted to be treated the same way. And so this was, a, a good way of saying that. And, and I don't know, I, I feel pretty aware now of the possibility that that's not true. I just don't know if that was a conversation happening in the ancient world. Yeah. Amy, this saying is also, or a version of it anyway, is also quite famous in the Jewish tradition. And you tell that story every once in a while about Hillel and Shammai and the one foot guy. Can you, can you mm, tell that, can you yeah, tell that story? The one foot guy. Sure. Yeah, Hillel, we mentioned him um, maybe two weeks ago also. He was a Pharisee living around this time, and he and another rabbi named, named Shammai, who I think was a Sadducee. Oh, I they, didn't know that. They, I, I think he was. I could be wrong about that. I should, I should check myself before I start asserting things. But they were, they were rabbis that were leaders of their groups and were famous for the arguments that they would have. 
And at least in the stories that are recorded in the Talmud, like Hillel's always the winner of the arguments. Like he, <laughs> you always want to vote with Hillel. So in this particular argument, someone who really is just trying to be sort of a, like a, it's almost like a high school prank. Like someone's trying to be annoying. They knock on Shammai's study door um, and he comes to the door and they say, I really want to learn. You know, I want you to teach me Torah. And like, this is something that would be so appealing to a rabbi to have a, an eager student come to their door. And so you imagine Shammai is getting excited. And then the kid says, or like, I don't know, a man, but I want you to teach me the whole Torah while I'm standing on one foot. Like basically you've got, <laughs> yeah. you know, 10 seconds to do this. And so Shammai slams the door in his face and says like, stop bothering me. I'm studying. And so he runs off to Hillel's door and does the same thing, knocks on the door. And Hillel responds, what is hateful to you, do not do unto others. That is the whole Torah. Now go and study. Yes. All the rest is commentary. All the rest is commentary. Yes. All the rest is commentary. Now go and study. And so there's both this idea that like, this is the central thing. Our whole task through history has been like figuring out how to actually do that. And what does that look like? Because it's not so straightforward. And you have to study the commentary like you. Yes. It's important that you keep yes. studying, but I will give you the crux of it in one sweet little nugget. Yeah, I love that. I also think it's so interesting that it's the same basic idea, but it's framed in the negative. So do not do to your neighbor what is hateful mm-hmm. to you or something yep. like that. Yeah. And I mean, both of them offer their own. Like, I, I like thinking about both of those, the way Jesus says it in the do what mm-hmm. you would like done. And the way Hillel says, do not do what you do not want done. Mm-hmm. So I think they, I've sort of processed those in different ways, both of which both of which are helpful. If you want to connect the Jesus version back to what we were just talking about, which I've not actually done before. This is one of those verses I read sort of as a, atom, in an atomistic way. Mm-hmm. But if you think about the praying and receiving and connect it to this, treat others the way you want to be treated, there is this sort of connection one could make that says, when you know what your neighbor needs, Mm -hmm. try to fill the need of your neighbor because you hope that they will do the same for you. Mm -hmm. And so then the like praying, asking, receiving becomes part of this golden rule, like pay attention to the needs of others and do your part in the community of God and the community will do the same for you, or at least you, you hope they will. Yeah. I just so appreciate that you keep bringing us back to the communal nature of this because it's so easy to read it, as, you know, in in English without the y'all version or whatever, mm-hmm. just sitting here alone with my book as like we're each on our own individual paths. And this line is just like, be nice to the person in the lane next to you, you know, but it's a lot, it's a lot more than that. The y'all version of this is actually really terrible. Treat people the same way y'all want them to treat y'all. <laughs> <laughs> Can you picture John Hayes saying that? <laughs> yeah, totally can. Here's a moon pie. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. A May his memory. memory be a blessing. Mm-hmm. Okay. We've said a lot about this. We, we probably need to move on to the narrow gate. Yes. And this is what I wrote down in my notes for the narrow gate. Enter through the narrow gate. <laughs> <laughs> Amy, that is so insightful. <laughs> I know. You should ask a question about this, but I... I, I, I didn't have, I didn't write one down. I love this. And I feel like, again, it's so in keeping with the conversation that we sort of landed at at the end of chapter six, like this is hard. Yes. You are surrounded by the empire. Yes. Every like external cue that you will get is going to tell you something else and it's going to reward the behaviors that are like the opposite of what I'm saying and doing these things is going to bring you all kinds of discomfort and possibly much worse than discomfort. Yes. And you should do it anyway. Yes. And anyone can do it, but it's hard. Yes. No, I love that. And what I really love about what you're doing there is some people will read the gate that leads to life and they will immediately translate that to the gate that leads to eternal life. And so this becomes about mm. how do you achieve salvation? Mm-hmm. And I, I think it actually is that. Mm-hmm. But, and in the first instance, it's what you are saying, which is about how do you live life here and now in this com- competition between the kingdom of heaven and the, and the kingdom of Rome? Yeah. And the way you live life now 
You can enter into life here, like in this exact moment, but you've got to do these things and these things are hard to do. Mm-hmm. The way the empire beckons us seems easy. And that's, you know, like everything you can think about, like the way people advertise at us is this will make your life easier. This will make you know, make your things faster. This will make you more comfortable. Like those are the ways that we get sort of sucked in and the things that Jesus is offering, the things that Torah is offering too. I mean, ultimately in the big picture, they're really beautiful things, but in the, in the immediate moment, they're really hard things. Like don't judge people, forgive, treat people well, respond to people's needs. It's not, it's not easy to do. Hi, I'm Reverend Joanna Herriter, pastor of Peace Mennonite Church in Lawrence, Kansas. Last year was my first year preaching through the narrative lectionary, and Bible Worm quickly became my first and usually most significant Bible study tool each week. I love the lighthearted yet in-depth textual analysis and the attention to issues of social justice. Sometimes I just want to take Amy and Bobby's closing thoughts and offer that as my sermon. But I don't, I promise. This year, I decided to support Bible Worm financially and join their Patreon at the basic $4 a month level. If you're one of those responsible preachers who starts sermon prep more than five days before the sermon, you can support at a slightly higher level to get early access to the content. Just go to patreon.com slash Podcast. Let's all do our little bit to help Bobby and Amy continue creating this valuable resource. And now back to this week's podcast. Okay, are we ready to go on to the last chunk? Let's do it. Okay, so we skip a little bit. You gave us a little uh, taste of what we're skipping, all of which there's some good stuff in there, but the narrative lectionary picks us up again in verse 24 and then takes us to the end of the chapter. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and acts on them will be like a wise man who built his house on rock. The rain fell, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not act on them will be like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell, and great was its fall. Now when Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one having authority and not as their scribes. Hmm. I would love to just dive into this image a little bit, a house on rock and a house on sand. Yeah. Neither of which are sheltered from the storm. They're both in the storm. They're both (laughs) experiencing the storm. Right. This feels, again, like maybe a little bit of a simple-minded question, but what kinds of characteristics of sand and rock do you think we should be, we should have in our minds? Or what kind of image comes to your mind? Some of the things that I was reading were suggesting, you know, we, or at least I think of houses being set on a, like a foundation, like there's a crawl space Mm -hmm. under your house and whatnot. Mm -hmm. And one of the commentaries I was reading was reminding me that most structures in the ancient world were not built like that. So Mm -hmm. just the floor, like the house actually literally just rested on the ground. And so if there was a storm that came and started washing away, like it would actually just wash the floor out from under the house and then the house Mm -hmm. would fall over. And so one then needs to build on something solid. And I mean, to me, this is just, I mean, this is such a, it's just a helpful image about where do you build your house and how like it appears solid Mm-hmm. in when the weather is good, but you're exactly right. Like this is not about protection. It's not about avoiding the storm. It's about, can you make your way through the storm? And just that, that idea that your, your floor is going to wash away. Like it might be easier to build on the sand. You might get a nicer view if you build on the sand, like mm-hmm. just go build next to the ocean or on the lake or whatever. But uh, when tough times come. Yeah. Yeah. And it, I really appreciate just like giving us a little reality check of <laughs> what it would have been like to, you know, ha- live in a structure, live in some kind of house um, in the ancient world. And as you were talking, I was thinking like it, it not only does it, is this passage not about protecting you from the storm? It has nothing to do with the craftsmanship of the house. Like that's right. Too. If you're yeah. building a house, I would imagine I would become immediately focused on 
What are the materials yes. I'm using to build? What kind of skills do I have? What am I, you know? Yeah. All that stuff. When in reality, if you don't have a solid foundation, it doesn't matter. Yeah, that's really lovely. Yeah. So then if the question is, well, what does the house represent? Mm-hmm. Which is, I think, the next move. Mm-hmm. Well, let me just ask you, what, is the, <laughs> what does the house <laughs> represent? Oh, our our... Uh, our our lives? I don't know. My house is my life. How about that? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It, it's the everything. It's, you know, yeah. everything in my daily life and how it fits together and things I might imagine I can control or can't. Yeah. Would you add anything to that? No, I think that's exactly right. And yeah. And so your own sort of capacity to weather the storm and what, what do you have? that is uh, giving you substance and sustenance. I was also thinking relationally. Mm-hmm. So in the first instance, like the like your primary relationships, like your spouse or your children or people like that. And like, what is the, what is the basis of that relationship that gives it the capacity to withstand difficult times? Mm. And I think the step beyond that is your community, however you want to define that, your church or your synagogue or your whatever community it is and what's the basis. And, you know, I, I tend to the broader readings. And so when I'm thinking, I'm like, well, what is the basis of the church to which I belong? And like, what, you know, is the essence of it, the gospel sermon on the Mount trust in God, or is it the capital campaign and the, you know, how many people come on a Sunday and like, what do I have to do to get the people in the door? And if I'm like, at what point, Am I doing things to get people in the door that are faithful? And at what yeah. point am I not? And if I'm yeah. getting people in the door in ways that are not true to the gospel, then what happens when we hit hard times? Yeah. Like, I think all of that, from the very personal, like, what is my life about to what is my community's mm-hmm. existence about? I think all of that gets caught in this metaphor. Yeah. I'm really glad you brought in the, brought relationships into the house Because one of the things I was thinking about the sand, so first reading the sand, I was like, well, that's obviously the empire and worldly values. Yeah. And and we can talk about that. And it also occurred to me that people can't really be your foundation either, Mm. or at least individual people can't, because people die. Mm -hmm. And, you know, they are... They are good and holy connections, but it's mm-hmm. but it will shift. Yeah. Even if even if nothing quote unquote bad happens, even if your relationship is, you know, solid and good and you never whatever come upon hard times, someone's gonna die. Mm-hmm. But I really like that you brought the relationships into the house. The relationships aren't absent mm-hmm. from this. Mm-hmm. Now that's helpful. And then so the singular, even if you have a solid relationship, if it is a singular relationship, there is also shifting sand there which yeah. draws in the importance of community mm-hmm. or extended mm-hmm. family mm-hmm. or friend networks. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So is the rock God? I th- yes. I think the rock is God. Also, the rock is Torah. Also, mm-hmm. the rock is the Sermon on the Mount. Mm-hmm. And so all like the basis of all of it is trust in God, faith in God. Mm-hmm. But there's more to it than that. You know, it, all the rest is commentary, right? It all it yeah. all grows yeah. out. But the, yeah. the commentary is not unimportant. What do you think yeah. about that? No, I think that's, I think that's right. And I'm glad you added in the piece about commentary there. Yeah, it just makes me think about <laughs> rocks are really quiet and not very uh, showy and, yeah. you know. Yeah. But but constant in a, in a way that allows you to, mm. I don't know, build in a more meaningful mm-hmm. way. Now that's important. And so you might not really appreciate the rock when the sun is out. Yeah. You might not even notice the presence of the rock right. when the sun is out. Right. But you sure will notice it when the storm comes. That's right. That's right. There's one more little section here. I know we need to start moving towards um, our final thoughts, but I wanted to see first if you have any, if you, if there's anything you really want to draw out of this last 
assertion that Jesus was teaching them as having authority and not as their scribes. If that feels, uh, what do we need to draw from that um, comparison? Yeah. I mean, when I'm like teaching kids, I'll say, who wants to be the scribe? And that means who wants to take notes? And mm -hmm. so my first thought reading this was like, the scribe just tells you back what you just said, which uh, is, you know, very different than a teacher. Yeah. I don't think that's what they mean here by scribe, though. The CEB translates legal experts. Yeah, I think that's better. I think that's better. Mm -hmm. I just think this comes back to our conversation that we've had along the way about people in positions of religious authority and the danger that we run of giving lip service to the teachings and not a lot of depth about how one actually lives those out. Whether that is a fair characterization of the Jewish legal experts in this time, I do not know. Matthew's got his own agenda here, but I think there is a critique there that is a reasonable critique of a lot of us who are in positions of religious authority, that it's easy to talk about it. Jesus is showing, like, here's the depth of the Torah. This is what it means mm -hmm. if you try to live it out. And that is uh, different, it seems, than what the people have been experiencing in their sort of day-to-day -day interactions with other religious leaders. Mm -hmm. That's how I kind of get there. Mm -hmm. Do you do something else or different? Not, not, not so different. No, I think that the footnotes in that Jewish annotated New Testament suggests that a scribe knows precedent really well and is oh, sort of yeah. like primarily interested in precedent, which as yeah. if we think about attorneys now, like, yeah, precedent is really important, yeah. but it's not a way to easily move things forward. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's, it's really kind of a, a historically rooted thing. And so this I see as, you know, describing Jesus as someone who knows, who knows the history and knows the precedent and cares about it and also is not afraid to do the next thing with it. Yeah. You know, is not sort of constrained by yeah. what has already happened. Yeah. I think that's right. And as you say that, what I'm, you know, what I'm thinking is what Jesus is really trying to do, or at least what Matthew is trying to do, because he's really focused on Torah, which is interesting, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but he's wanting to skip the whole rabbinic interpretation and say Jesus is the correct interpretation. And so that's sort of where he has ended up is to say, Jesus is going all the way back to the source, mm -hmm. which is the mm -hmm. Torah, and he is interpreting it of his own authority, mm -hmm. and that all of that precedent, all of that connection, all of that tradition doesn't matter. It's pretty dismissive, even as Jesus is saying things that sound like Hillel and, and Shammai, you know. But we talk from time to time, you and I, about so, you know, when you're going to read the Torah, like what, you have to read it through someplace. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, if as a Christian, one reads through Jesus, or at least that's what Matthew wishes us to do. Yeah. As, as a Jew, one reads through the Jewish tradition of commentary. So we're starting from mm -hmm. the same place and we're reading it from different sources of authority. And so here, as Matthew just saying, Jesus is the authority through which one should read the Torah. Yeah. And the people recognize that in his, in his way of teaching. Yes. Mm. There's a lot of stuff in here, Bobby. What is at the top of your list today? The thing that I keep coming back to about this text and about our conversation is just, I mean, this is where we started, which is this idea about judging and, or not judging and being treated the way that you treat others. Like I, all of those things are kind of tied up together from the don't judge so that you won't be judged. You'll receive the same amount or the same judgment you give all the way down to do unto others as you would have them do unto you. This was sort of the philosophy that we tried to live out at Mercy Church. Mm -hmm. The way we said it was, whoever walks in the door, we're going to love them just the way they are. And we're not going to judge them about whether they're well-dressed or not, or whether they're drunk or not, or whether they're you know, making good life choices or not. We don't have any decisions to make about you when you walk in our door. We're just going to love you. And, you know, that runs into some complications at times if people are being disruptive to the community in various ways. Mm -hmm. But other than that, we really did just try to love folks who walked in. And it is transformative. It's hard to sustain. I don't know if I could do it with more than about 
10 people at a time. I probably achieved it like once out of every four times we all got together where I just loved everybody who walked in the door. But there is something about it. And when you start to love people that way, then people recognize what's happening and they start to respond the way this says, like you Mm -hmm. were talking about, not just that God responds to you, but also other people in the community respond to you. And they start loving each other and they start loving you and you start to be able to let go of some of your own self-judgment, honestly, to say, I protect myself so much so that other people don't know what I'm really like because I think they'll judge me. When you walk into a community where the fundamental value is we don't judge each other, you can just be yourself. And that actually helps you let go of some of the specks in your eye that you think are logs. Mm -hmm. I just think this is a really lovely image. I mean, there's all sorts of impracticalities about it. Like if you start to think like, how are we going to live this out? It, it, I mean, it gets hard real fast. That's the commentary, right? (laughs) That's the commentary. Yeah. But it is such a beautiful way to live. And I, you know, like I look, I find ways to do that a little bit here and there now and again. Mercy Church, that was our foundational purpose. And it really was a transformational thing for me. So that's just what connection for me and to encourage us all to try to live that way in whatever sphere we can, can work that out. Just try on the love people for who they are and the non-judgment and just see what kind of difference it might, it might make for us. Yeah. I love that, Bobby. It's making me think of um, back when we started the Beatitudes, we did all the like, blessed are, blessed are, blessed are. And then, and then there was this part about like, you know, you are the light of the world and like, don't lose your saltiness. And, you know, there's sort of this back and forth throughout these different sections we've been reading of like, there are things you need to do and they're going to be hard and you are wildly imperfect, but you can't lose that. Like, don't, don't throw your preciousness before the dogs and the swines. Like you have, you have to, because when you lose that sense of your own value, it's, you, you lose the sense of other people's value and you lose that, you know, like it's, we're not, we're not really doing anything. There's no there there anymore if we're not yeah. like really willing to be in the room. Yeah, that's exactly right. Yeah. What do you see in this text when you look at it? You know, partly it was, it was uh, what I just said that really just kind mm. of built out from what you were saying. But I think the other thought I want to offer is also just kind of an extension of what you said and maybe a little bit of a silly one, but I've told you before that I really like examples. Like I'm a very concrete person. <laughs> And so, so I think I'm going to basically give an example of uh, one silly way that sort of non-judgment can, can play out in the world. I was doing this workshop for people who lead prayer in some context, and, and they were talking about, uh, it was a Jewish context, and they were talking about sort of that, you know, balance, again, between like, you have to take the reins, like you have to be willing to be in charge of how this is going to go because you are the appointed leader and also the enormity of that task. Yeah. And someone was, uh, pe- several leaders noted, noted either that sometimes the congregation tries to take the reins and like make them speed up or make them do things in a different melody just by insisting on it, by like not, mm. <laughs> not <laughs> singing the melody that the leader starts and singing their yeah. own melody. And, and one of the people in the room who was a rabbi actually admitted that they have a lay leader who tends to lead too fast. And so she tries to slow it down just by saying it more slowly than the leader loudly. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And the person leading the workshop was just so clear and directive, like, don't do that. Like you undermine the whole endeavor. If you do Mm. that, your job is whoever is the leader is to put your full support behind yes. what they are trying to do. And whatever, if you need to have a conversation with them later about going slower, like fine. But in that moment, it does nobody any good to try to derail what the the person who you've appointed as the leader is doing. Yes. And I have just found it is such a relief to me and such a joy now to not even have to think about what do I think about the way this person is doing this and what do I wish they were doing instead and how do I, whatever, forget it. I am with you. Like, 
I came to this thing and I'm with you. And it feels so much better. Yes. Just to me and certainly to like, you know, the group in the room. But it's it's so much better to not try to judge and derail each other. I love that, Amy. And then to transfer that from the person who's leading the singing to every person yes. you encounter. Yes. Who is being themselves the best way they know how in this yes. moment. Yes. And just go with it. Go with it. Yeah. Support them in doing that. Stop trying to it. take over the reins. I love it. Next week, we are skipping a little bit. We're skipping ahead to Matthew <laughs> chapter 13, verses 24 to 43, which the narrative lectionary calls parables of the kingdom. Also parables about seeds. Okay, parables about seeds. <laughs> which will be inter- sounds less impressive that way, but it's in- okay, makes good. it interesting. I yeah. will have to slow myself down. Don't jump yes. to assigning them things. Just let them be what they are first. Yes. Yeah. Good. Well, I look forward to it. Thanks for talking. See you next time. Bye. Thanks for joining us for this week's episode of Bible Worm. If you've enjoyed this free podcast, we hope you'll help us keep it going by joining our Patreon for as little as $4 per month. You can also sign up for other goodies like early access, video lectures, weekly liturgies, and more. Visit patreon.com slash Podcast for details. Bible Worm is produced by Bobby Williamson and edited by Joel and Laura Becker. Our theme song is sung by Colin Bagby, and our theme music is The World at Large by Dano Songs. Many thanks to all our Patreon supporters for helping make this podcast possible. A special thank you to our newest supporters, Karen Fletcher, Sue Leibniz, Dirk Thompson, Beth McCaw, Cassandra Lamb, Warren Kraft, Lynn Dolan, Teresa Hockenberry, Adam Teska, and Tiffany Chipman. Join us again next time when the Narrative Lectionary takes us to Matthew chapter 13, verses 24 through 43. Until then, keep on digging.